to look and see who's here. Hello, everyone. I see quite a few 20-year-olds. I love that. <laughs> I'm particularly fond. Yeah, Jeff, I, I saw you and I thought, 20-year-old, boom. Yes, and John, all right, sorry. No, no, the real 20-year-old's over here. <laughs> ah, it's good to see you. Did you catch the sun a couple days this week? It was like, spring, I see you, you're coming, yay. All right, we are on the second week of Lent. And one thing I, I enjoy about following Lent and I enjoy is the scriptures are given for you. It's kind of nice. Like, here it is. This is what you're going to preach on. And sometimes that's fun because you read it and you're like, oh, I'm so excited. And other times you read it and you're like, I wonder what I'm going to, I wonder where I'm going to go with this. But this week I read the passage and I was like, oh, I'm excited for this one because I had read it in the past, like recent past, and had felt like God spoke to me just when I was reading it for myself, kind of for just reading through scripture. So I was like, oh, yay. So we're going to start there. And the passage for today is Mark 9. Matthew, Mark. Mark 9. And interestingly, the passage for today was also the... Um, for the Sunday preaching was also the passage that we did on Thursday night. So that might be, uh, so you've already had it in your minds and hearts if you're with us on Thursday. I will read it for you, with you. Uh, please, please listen. Here we go. Mark 9, 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And most translations say to pray. Just so you know, that's what they were going up to pray. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Father, be with us today as we read your word, as we um, sit with your word. I pray that you would speak. May our hearts be a little lighter from being with you. Amen. Amen. I just want to say, worship was really good. Thank you for leading us today. It was fun. And it reminded me, probably because Jamie had read the passage, but kind of like, it's good to be in God's presence. This is what Peter says. He's experiencing God, God's presence, and he says, it is good to be here. This is so good. He can't help himself. Wow, this is so good. When Peter said to Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration, and I was thinking, that's what we say 
when we experience, those moments when we experience the presence of God, the presence of the holy, the presence of God's love. I don't think it happens all the time, but there's these moments I have not seen a cloud. I have not heard a voice. But there's times when I know I am with God, and it's like it's so good to be here. Peter, James, and John knew they were encountering God. They knew they were encountering divine love through this dazzling light and a voice saying, this is my beloved. Listen to him. Terrifying, because he's like terrifying as that was, they didn't want to leave. Like as terrifying as it was, they're like, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here. I was thinking it's similar for us at times when we experience God's divine love. We want to stay there. I was thinking of the kids when they go to summer camp. Um, I never did this as a kid, so I didn't have, but when my kids come home, they don't want to leave. I don't know if you've ever had that. They like, it's so good. They're protected. They experience God's love. All the adults there are loving on them. They, um, they, they love it. They come home and they say, I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to stay. And I, that's what I thought of. Like, he's like, this is so good. I just want to stay here. And I just was thinking for you guys, can you think of a time, any time, when you might have experienced God's presence, God's love, where you're just like, I just would like to stay here. Could I just stay here? I have, I have one that's not like, oh, or amazing, but when I am in the woods in a cabin by myself, where I'm just intentionally going, I do this sometimes, get away, just to be with God, for a day or two or three, I, I don't want to come back. I'm like, it is so good to be here. I, I don't want to come back. Sometimes also in, there's worships, there's a few times, like it's just sporadic. We'll be worshiping and I'm like, let's skip the sermon and let's just keep singing for another half hour. This is so good. I would just rather, I'm fine. I prepared a message. It's fine. Just kind of, I felt that way today. I'm like, just keep singing. Don't stop. This is so good. And it, I'm sure I'm thinking it's different for different weeks, for different people, where you come, where you're at. But those are times when I'm like, Peter, I'm like, this is so good. They wanted to stay, but Jesus led them back down the mountain. <laughs> they couldn't stay. They had to go back to their everyday lives. They had to go back to all of the feelings of uncertainty, of loss, of limitations, of work. You can't stay there. Uh, I've told this story one time when we were just at a point where I felt life was kind of easy. The kids were not quite teenagers yet, and life just felt really good. And I was like, can we just stay here? And my spiritual director's like, no, no, you can't. You can't stay here. Like, to stay where everything's fine is to be dead. I was like, thank you. So we can't. And Jesus said, no, you can't stay here. You have to go back down. Do you wonder, I was thinking about this this week, do you think you know that phrase, mountaintop experience? Is that just a church phrase, or do people use that for other lingo as well? Is it a, is it a broad, like a culture? Do you think it might have come from this, a mountaintop where you experience Maybe. I was like, I wonder if this is where this came from. So they were having this mountaintop experience, and they wanted to stay there, but this is not where we live. This is not where we stay. Um, though we may long to say, it is good to be here. Can I live here? Jesus leads them back down into the fray, into the everyday life. 
So let's look at transfiguration in the Bible and see what we can see from the Bible. So this is not the first time that we have heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved. The other one was, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So let's go to that passage. So Peter knew, right? Peter's like, oh, I've experienced this before. I know what this is. So go to Matthew 3, 17. And this is the other time when Jesus had heard, when Jesus heard this and the disciples. So this is when Jesus was baptized. And I will start at verse 16. So this is when he's being baptized. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and it alighted on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. So when Peter heard this, he knew. He's like, I've heard this before. I know what this is. And Peter also would have realized what was happening because of the stories from the Old Testament, when God's presence would follow them in a cloud or in fire. So Peter, was, Peter knew the scriptures, and he knew immediately what was going on here. He knew the stories of God's presence as he traveled with them. So who would not want to offer to stick around for a little while and to stay up on the mountain? I also notice here that Peter is really quick. If we go back to the Luke-Mark passage. He, this is what I noticed before when I read it on my own. Peter is really quick to come up with a plan. Do you notice Mark says he said this because he was terrified. Peter immediately comes, hey, I got it. Let's stay here. Let's build. Let's do something. Doesn't it sound like people? Let's, I got it. God's presence here. Let's build something. Let's build three houses and we'll just stay here forever. He didn't, he didn't pause to listen to what God had for them or what God was saying. He's like, I know what to do. Let's do this and let's do it now. And I, I also heard him because he said he spoke because he was scared. Do you, I, I do that sometimes. When I'm scared or I feel fear, I just start talking. Do you ever do that? You just like you're scared and you just start talking. I notice it when I meet new people. It's really awkward. I feel a little nervous and I just start talking. And I'm like, Heidi, stop talking. Heidi, what are you doing? I'm like talking to myself. Can you rein it back? And I just sometimes can't rein it back. I'm like, oh, please. And so it's, I, when I read it, I was like, nobody else. You have a look on your face like, oh, I must. Yeah, I hope you don't have that experience. It's not very much fun. But um. I'm usually pretty good if I feel comfortable with a person to slow it down and to listen and to pause. But Peter here is just like, he's scared, and he's like, let's do this. Let's do something rather than listening. So Mark reports, Mark is telling us, Peter did this because he was terrified. And I think how often when we're scared do we make a plan for God? Oh, I just remembered this story. I can tell it because they graduated a couple years ago. So we were doing premarital counseling, and this college student was offered a position. He was offered a couple positions, and we were doing premarital counseling with him and his wife now. And he came to us, and he told us all the pros and cons, and he's like all these things, and he'd been thinking it through, and he'd been talking and talking. And I said to him, I was like, what did God say to you when you prayed about it? And he goes, oh. Oh, I forgot to do that. 
And it's, it's human, right? He'd been thinking and thinking. I'm like, why don't you go back and pray about it? And then we'll, we'll talk about this next time. And I think that's really human of us. Like Peter here, he's like, let's build something. Let's do something. And he didn't, Jesus is right there in God, and he didn't bother to say, what, would, what do you think we ought to do here? So rather than, I think, I saw in Peter, rather than jumping in, maybe we need to slow down and follow God's voice. Because right here, God told him, this is my son, follow him. This is my son, listen to him. Don't just start moving and doing what you think is best, but listen to him. So I want to look now at what happened, because I think this helps us to understand, what happened between that first time, back in Matthew, when Jesus was baptized, and he heard that this is my son, listen to him, and where they came to now. Because a lot had happened between that first visitation of God and this next visitation of God. And um, I think, have you, I've heard this a lot in the church, like the Messiah was not what they were expecting. Like the Messiah was not what they were hoping for. But also I was realizing neither was the life that he was calling to them to. I was like, oh. Like, to take it a little bit further, like, yes, Messiah did not look like what the disciples were hoping for, and following him was not what they were hoping for. And I think that that's often true for us. Like, as we get to know Jesus more and more, we're like, oh, this looks different than the Jesus I kind of thought I knew, and he's following him looks different than I thought it was going to look. So we're going to look at some scriptures, and I'm going to read a little more extensively than I normally do, and I hope you enjoy listening to the passages. So we're going to start, well, I'll tell you the first one, and we'll read the second one. So this is kind of what happened after Jesus was baptized. The first thing was, right after Jesus was baptized, if you remember, he gets thrown into the wilderness, and Jesus gets tempted and I think the disciples would be like, what is going on? Why would this happen? Why would God let this happen to Jesus? So that's the first thing that happens. And then the next thing that I was thinking through that happened to Jesus since then is he's rejected by his hometown, by his own people. So let's go to Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke 4. Luke 4. I think sometimes there's like a familiarity in these stories. But if you think about like, if you think about being rejected by your own people, it'd be like being rejected by your own tribe, your own home church, your own like, they're like, I don't think so. Um, it's, it's kind of, um, it kind of be terrifying and lonely. So I'm going to read Luke 14 through 20. So listen, listen with me, please. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Okay, there you got it. Here he is, praised by everyone. Everyone's like, wow. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? And then we'll skip a little bit. So they continue, and at the end, when they heard this all, so when they'd heard the whole thing in the synagogue, watch, they were filled with rage. They got up, they drove him out of town, they led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. So he went from being loved and being amazing, like, wow, we've never heard anyone to, like, let's kill him. So the next thing here I have, so he went from being baptized to being tempted by Satan to rejected by his closest family and friends. And now we go to the disciples. Jesus was misunderstood by his disciples. They're like, what? Go to Mark 4, Matthew, Mark. Mark 4. 38 through 41. This is a classic story. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. I love that. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe. See, they still didn't get it. They're like, he's like, why are you, I'm with you. I'm with you. You don't have to be scared. But they didn't get it. They're still scared. They still didn't get what he could do. Then go to Mark 8. This is again, they don't get him. Mark 8, 14 through 21. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, It is because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. And then he said to them, do you not understand? They didn't get it, like what he could do with the bread. They're like, do you still not get what I can do? Then you go down to 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. They're like, we, we, we don't know. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. So even though these people were walking with him, they didn't. They didn't get him. They didn't get him. They'd seen him 
do the miracle of the feeding of the thousands of people. And then just a little bit later, he's doing it again. And they're like, how are we going to feed everybody? He's like, we just did this. Don't you remember how quickly you forget? I can do anything. And then the last one that we're going to look at is the local authorities are now plotting against him to kill him. So go to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 11. John 11. So as Jesus walked on earth, I think this is something I didn't realize growing up. Um, For a while, Jesus was super popular. And the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more people followed him. But as time went by and he shared more and more of himself, the crowds got smaller and smaller and the people following him got less and less and less. So here we go, John eleven forty five. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, What are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but to gather into one of the dispersed children of God. So from that day on, they plan to put him to death. The Messiah was not what they had been expecting and neither was this life they'd been called to. I, I wonder if Peter, James, and John needed to hear God say, because it's gonna, it was going to get harder. They were going to watch him get killed. I wonder if they needed to hear him say, this is my beloved, keep listening to him. It's going to get even harder. Don't stop listening to Jesus. And I also was wondering, this actually came to me this morning, I wonder if Jesus needed to hear that. I wonder if Jesus, because I think we have a hard time with his, I have a hard time with his humanity, but if, I mean, he cried out, God, please don't let this happen to me. I really don't want it. If you can think of any other way, I'd rather not die. I wonder if Jesus actually needed to hear God say, this is my beloved. They're going to follow you. You are still my beloved. Just like I need to hear it. Like I, I need to hear, I'm surprised how often I need to be reminded how much God loves me and I forget. A friend wrote at the bottom of my Valentine, I pray that you can remember that you are beloved by God. And I felt like it was, um, I felt like it was a gift and that I needed in that moment to be reminded and her kindness of writing that to me. So here Jesus had been Rejected by his neighbors, friends, his closest friends, the authorities, nearly, nearly everyone. And I just wonder if he needed to hear, you're my son, you're doing what I want you to do. I wonder if they needed the reminder that no matter what is to come, you follow me, follow my voice, listen to him. It's going to get harder 
but this is my beloved. Um, I also noticed that to meet with God, they had to, you don't have to, but a lot of times you, you have to get out of your everyday space. Like a lot of times Jesus goes up to a mountainside. You can meet with God at your house, in your bedroom. You can. You can meet with God anywhere. And I have also experienced getting out of my space, going somewhere, being somewhere different, um, being in Costa Rica. I was so immersed in God's presence, being somewhere else, a retreat. It can be lots of different things. But I'm noticing that sometimes I, I think there's God honors an effort to get up and get away. God honors that effort. Um, and it's easier to hear in some kind of set-aside space what God wants to say and desires to say to me, and where I can hear again, you are my beloved, Heidi. Jesus is my beloved. Follow him. You can trust him through the uncertainties, through the losses, through your limitations. Um, I think, as I was thinking about the passage um, this week, one thing I love about preaching um, and grateful for is you have a responsibility to look at a passage and to sit with it and to read it and let it soak and be with you all week long. And I come to the passage, sometimes when they're familiar, it's, it's, um, it's easier than when they're harder, when you have to like do some more research. But I come at it and I ask myself, God, what are you saying to me? Like, what do you have for me and what do you have for, for your, your people that are here? What do you want to say to us? And I think the invitation is to remember that it's good to be with God. It's good to remember. It's good to be with him. Like, I want to stay there. I think the invitation is to maybe find a space to get up on the mountain, <laughs> to find a space, whether it's a walk, whatever it might be, to get alone, to spend time, to hear what God says to you. And I think also the passage here reminds us that Life might not go the way we had hoped or planned and usually doesn't. And our job is to follow Jesus down the mountain, like back into the everyday life. Um, when, when Kate Bowler spoke about this passage, she did like a, a daily devotional piece on it. She talked about agency. And she was saying that in the American culture, we have this idea that if you work hard enough, if you do the right things, if you, you know, if you live a certain way, if you push through, then your life will look a certain way. Like, and, and that's not everyone, but it's called agency. Like, you have the agency to make your life work a certain way. And she pushes against this idea all the time. And I think because in her 30s, she had cancer, like a, can a very, very severe cancer. And she'd done all the things, like she's a professor at Duke, and I think she finally realized, like, you can do all the things, and your life is still out of your control. No matter who you are, you can get cancer. A lot of people are born with disabilities, and so they don't have, they have limited, it's called limited agency. You're never gonna have the same abilities it's not going to be as easy for you as somebody else. And the truth is, what she pointed out, is if we're really honest, all of us 
all of us have some form of limited agency. And I think we like to think that we don't have limited agency. I think sometimes as, as women, if you want to move into a certain field, you can experience that, and probably some of you have. People of color, uh, people born in a certain neighborhood, a certain country, I mean, you can just like keep going, right? Certain, all these things give you limited agency. And she was talking about in relation to this text that um, no matter what is thrown your way, no matter where Jesus might take you through your life, we're following, we're following Jesus' voice. No matter who you are, no matter what the hand you've been dealt. And um, I think it's good for me to remember because I think I believe I believe a lie that if I work harder, if I do the right things, that my life will be this way. And it's really not true. It doesn't serve me well. And it's not fair. Um, I think that was a tangent. <laughs> Sorry. It was in my head floating, and I was going to talk about it, and then I wasn't, and there it was. So uh, let's, let's wrap up for today. Okay, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to read the passage again. And I'm going to ask you to just listen to the Holy Spirit and just to, I'm going to read it slow and just see what sinks into your heart to carry with you. Like a phrase or um, one of the points or your own point, like something I never said, but this is for you today. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to go back to Mark, Matthew, Mark 9, and I'm going to read it to you. And with all the thoughts I've said, and those of you who heard this passage on Thursday night, and just listen. Listen to what maybe or maybe the God has for you today. All right, so I'll read it slow. Mark 9, 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. All right, I'll pray. God, I thank you for your word today. We prayed this morning before church that each person would, would come and worship you and receive from you what you have for them today. And so we come to the end of our time together, end of our rhythm of meeting together as a community. And God, I ask that your spirit 
would speak. I pray that people would be open to hearing from you, trusting. God, I pray that people can trust that the word they heard is from you. And people, God, who aren't used to hearing from you, I pray that they can trust that still, small voice, that it's you, that you long to speak to us. You desire to show up. Be with us as we go this week. May we be aware of your presence as we do the things we have to do, like dishes and working and driving and getting gas. I pray that your spirit would prompt us to be aware of you in ways that maybe we we don't normally move through the day. Thank you for this time. Be with us. Bring us back together safely to worship and be with you as a community again. Amen. Amen. All right, would you stand with me and join me in singing? I'll let you strut. All right, my dear friend, would you lead us?